In Wilmington, summertime is beach time. And for my money, there's no nicer beach in the world than the blue-green waters and the white sands of Riceville Beach. As a teenager growing up in Wilmington in the 1980s, my friends and I would often go down to Shell Island on the north end of Wrightsville to swim and surf. If we were feeling bold, or maybe we were a little short on quarters for the old parking meter, we'd find a spot in the parking deck of the Shell Island Resort, which was, I'm sure, more lightly monitored back then than it probably is today. My dad lived on Wrightsville's north end in the early 80s, and I remember when the resort was being constructed, rising high among the shifting sand dunes. I'd also listened to stories about Shell Island from my mom and dad, who graduated from New Hanover High School in the early 60s. They'd talk about the days in the not-too-distant past when Shell Island, for its name, was an actual island. During low tide, I was told, they'd easily walk over the old Moores Inlet, which was filled in during the middle 1960s, to a Shell Island that at that time was devoid of any structures built by humans. What I didn't know at that time was was that Shell Island had another history one that's led some to call Shell Island an area of great cultural significance for our area. For a few years in the middle 1920s, in the height of Jim Crow era segregation, an attempt was made to establish Shell Island as a resort beach for African Americans, an attempt that was nearly lost in the sands of time. This is Cape Fear on Earth, a podcast exploring the legends, historical oddities, and landmark stories of southeastern North Carolina. I'm your host, John Staten, and I'm a reporter with the Star News here in Wilmington, wearing a net paper that's part of the USA Today Network. My guest this week is Ray McAllister, who's joining us to talk about this particular slice of Wrightsville Beach history. Ray's an award-winning author, publisher, newspaper columnist, and magazine editor. A former columnist for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, he's written six books, four of them on the North Carolina coast, including Wrightsville Beach, The Luminous Island. So I'm here with Ray McAllister, author of Riceville Beach, The Luminous Island. Ray, thank you so much for being with Cape Fear and Earth today. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, to take it back a little bit, what got you interested in uh, writing about Riceville Beach in the first place? Well, I had done a, uh, written a book on Thompson Island, which was uh, very successful, and the publishers wanted another book. And my parents at that time were living quite near uh, Wrightsville, in Wilmington, quite near Wrightsville. And we used to go to Wrightsville, take uh, our kids to the, to the beach there, and it seemed natural. And there were a great many interesting stories. Yeah, no, it's just a fascinating, uh, I mean, it's a fascinating place. I grew up, you know, going to high school here in the 80s, spent a lot of time on Wrightsville Beach. My parents went there in the 60s, and I was always here certain things and one thing uh kind of what sparked my memory i guess was when they announced the re uh, the rebranding of the uh the old holiday in sunsbury now it's called lumina which is a whole nother uh story that we can get into on riceville beach history some other day but um i seem to recall my mom or my dad saying oh yeah back when i was in high school you know shell island was an actual island and we would walk across the you know it would get low tide and you could actually walk over there to uh to Ashell Island, so uh, and that was uh, Moore's Inlet, right? That was indeed. Uh, Shell Island was separate up until the mid-60s, and we can talk about that. But it, uh, Shell Island also had a fascinating history in the 1920s of historic history. Uh, but it was separate. You could walk across Moore's Inlet. Uh, it was partially filled in to uh, basically, I'll tell you, to expand yeah. for tourism, which is what Wrightsville Beach is always about, always right. expanding. 
tourism. And uh, so uh, in the 20s, it was filled in somewhat. And then uh, in the 60s, it was filled in completely. Yeah. Well, so what is your... Um um, from your research, what have you learned about, you know, what was that area like back, you know, back when Shell Island was an actual island? You know, what was, uh, you know, from what I understand, the surf club, that was pretty much the quote-unquote north end, right? That was the end of Riceville Beach back in those right, days. Right, right. It was uh, it was the end until, I think, 1926 when uh, Hugh McRae of the Tidewater Power Company, which was uh, the supreme ruler of the island, right. if you will, uh, filled in part of Moore's Inlet. Uh, they filled in from Asheville Street to Salisbury Street, if you know what they yeah. where those yeah. are. What they did is they put up a bulkhead and filled that part in with sand. And so that was for you know, the tourism, basically. Uh, yeah. There was much demand for Wrightsville, and there wasn't enough land. Yeah, and so that was, and so that gave them a little more land, a little more what, land to for, for people to come to the beach or to build houses or both? back a little bit um you mentioned the uh uh Hugh McRae and so let's take it back all the way to the 1920s which is you know almost a, a century ago because um I think it's a little it's not talked about enough around here that um you know back in the day there was an attempt to kind of make Shell Island a black beach resort right uh yes and it, it is quite historic and it has somewhat been lost to history I gave it entire chapter in my Wrightsville Beach book, and yeah. I, I think it's very interesting because, uh, not to go too much into the history of discrimination, but blacks were not allowed to do much of anything, and they certainly weren't allowed to have beach property, but that was the exclusive domain of white people, but in... Uh, right, I mean, like if you were black in the 20s, you probably wouldn't have been able to just to go and hang out on Wrightsville Beach, bring your family no, for a day, no, right? you were not at all. In fact, uh, in 1970, uh, a number of blacks petitioned the power company to set aside the southern part of Wrightsville Beach for blacks, but so many whites complained about dropping property values yeah. that the idea never got off the ground. But in 1923, uh, the home realty company, and it was C.B. Parmley and Thomas Wright, who was the yep. former mayor, were the heads of it. And they developed a, uh, a Negro resort, as it was called, and it became the National Negro Playground. It was the $75,000 resort, which was a major outlay, if yeah. you think about it. Including a pavilion that cost 15000 that uh, the uh, Wilmington Stars said would uh, rival the one at Lumina, where wow. you can sit the evenings and watch motion pictures in the ocean. Yeah, and Thomas, uh, and just to just, just to break in, but Thomas Wright, um, that's who Wrightsville Beach is named for, right? The Wright family. Yes, right, the Wright family, and he was one of the ones who did support the idea of blacks uh, being given a spot at the southern end of Wrightsville Beach, but yeah. he, uh, he he did not carry that day. Yeah, but instead they uh, decided to uh, to go north. They bought Shell Island, which was then a deserted island, yeah. really, basically. 
it was called Shell Island because it was covered with thousands of seashells. <laughs> right, and, right. And there were dunes and there was sea fowl and all of that, but it was wild. It was completely undeveloped. And people would go over for day excursions. The Oceanic Hotel used to run uh, boats uh, out there, excursions wow. to Shell Island. So it was, uh, it was not unknown. It was certainly not developed. Right. They bought it. They built a, a very large resort uh, with uh, uh, pavilions, and ultimately a lot of cottages would be would be built. And they had uh, oh, jazz music would come in. They have uh, music uh, entertainment. Yeah. Uh, the, the Negro Elks, which was a group, uh, held its state convention there in 1926, but. Uh, it only lasted three years. Um, as you say, it did start about a century ago, 1923. Yeah. Well, and th- and so basically, I mean, it was. It sounds like it was like essentially a business venture, right, for Thomas Wright and for the Parmalee family. Um, right. They were, you know, right. trying to, you know, make money and sell these, you know, sell these lots, sell these cottages, and kind of make it into a big thing, right? Well, you're right, uh, and they were not the only ones involved. Uh, Tidewater. Power extended its track first on Harbor Island, and then Stone Towing uh, operated a ferry from wow. Harbor Island across Moores Inlet to Shell Island four times a day, a round trip ferry. Wow. And uh, it was uh, it was successful uh, until people uh, decided it shouldn't be. And I tell you, a lot of them word got out around the state that yeah. uh, black people were being allowed to have property on the beach and to have their own area. and they said well we're not going to Wrightsville Beach and so the uh, the, the uh, Wilmington News wrote yeah. a, a pretty flamboyant editorial talking about you know don't worry the racial lines are still observed at Wrightsville Beach yeah. and it uh, it, uh, it was this as I say, flamboyant language to assure white people that they would not be. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, that is that is crazy to think, though, that for some people, you know, even a separate island separated by an actual inlet, that was still too close for some white people. Yes, in fact, if, uh, what I can do is I can read you a little quote here uh, from that editorial to the skeptics and the doubters and those who have given ear to the preposterous rumor. Let us say that racial lines are still observed at Wrightsville Beach and that the waters of the Atlantic Ocean still beat against her borders on all sides, divorcing it completely, entirely, and eternally from those fictitious drawbacks which the fertile imagery of Dame Rumor has woven. Wow. So, yeah, it was pretty... Uh, so, uh, that that was the feeling. Of, not all whites, obviously. Right, but, right. Uh, but uh, a number... And then I think we can say safely that, uh, that that probably led to its demise because in 1926, there were a series of uh, unexplained fires on the island that destroyed a number of the public buildings. And then the island essentially was deserted at that point. Yeah. So what, so what happened to, I mean, I mean, if we know what happened to all the buildings and the structures, they were just kind of gradually, I guess they were gradually demolished or just gradually left to the elements? Yeah, well, the ones that weren't burned down were yeah. gradually left to the elements. And, uh, you know, the uh, the Atlantic Ocean can take care of buildings in short order. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Very true. And so, and so then and so then it's like you, you almost have this 40-year gap, right, of just, you know, it being it going back to being a, 
almost like a deserted island. Uh, one guy I talked to, he's like, he's like, there might have been a fishing shack there in the fifties and sixties, but there, <laughs> but there might, but but there wasn't anything more than that. No, I think that's right. I mean, it might have been uh, where fishermen would go and yeah. fish for the day or yeah. for the weekend or what have you. As, as I said, in twenty six, after it was closed, uh, they did extend. Wrightsville Beach into part of Moore's Inlet. Right. So that was, but really, it wasn't until 1965. Uh, you're talking 40 years. Yeah, right. You said 40 years. The the Army Corps of Engineer uh, engineers closed Moore's Inlet. Yeah. Now they've been already, in fairness, they've been partially shut by Hurricane Hazel. Okay. But they but they did actually physically close the inlet that merged. Yeah. Wrightsville Beach and Shell Island. Suddenly, Wrightsville Beach was a four-mile island. Right, so, right. Yeah, uh, so, and guess what? The developers were okay with that. Yeah. Well, so, so you're saying that that Hazel in 54, so that partially filled in um, right. Moore's Inlet. And then the Corps of Engineers went and finished the job in uh, the mid-60s. Now, I've, I've read different things. There's some people that were saying, oh, one excuse was that, you know, because there was a lot of bad erosion, I understand, on Riceville Beach at the time, and they thought that maybe closing the inlet would help with the erosion, and then um, obviously there was the, the uh, development angle as well. Well, I think both are. I think it's fair to say both. I mean, yeah. you know, the, nothing stays the same uh, along the, the uh, coast of the ocean. Right. Everything is roughed up and moved. Um, so, yes, there was erosion or you know, migration is what it's yeah. often called. I mean, islands right. move. So whether you call it erosion or migration is probably in, is based on your own perspective. Right. But uh, but they were merged, and then two major resorts opened by 1969. One was the Shell Island Resort, which yeah. was on the old Shell Island. Yeah. And then there's the Holiday Inn that we've already talked about, yeah. which was actually on Moore's in- Inlet. Wow. But... Now, we're talking about uh, Mother Nature here. Very soon after the Holiday Inn opened, waves were already lapping at the foundation. Wow. And so what they did is they actually rebuilt that, the Holiday Inn farther from the ocean for that reason. Same same area, but wow. farther back. Yeah, because I know that there's been, uh, well, because the current, I think the current building was built maybe in the late uh, 90s. Around circa 2000, and there was a so there was another Holiday Inn that existed there um, before that. Right. Um, so yeah, so you're saying that you know once they filled in the inlet, uh, Moore's Inlet, in the mid 60s, by the late 60s, there was you know development was uh, sounds like um, development pretty quickly followed. It did, and I mean you have to, as, as I say, I've written books about uh, Topsail Island and Wrightsville Beach. Wrote them about the same time, a couple yeah. of years apart. But uh, prices on Topsail are much cheaper than real estate prices on Wrightsville. They were about two and a half times more expensive on Wrightsville. And there are a couple of reasons. One one dynamic is it's closer to Wilmington than yeah. Topsail is. And the other is it's so small. Yeah. Uh, Topsail Island is 26 miles long and there is a lot of land. Whereas uh, Wrightsville was very, very congested and even in recent decades, They've been knocking down the old houses so they can build newer, bigger ones. Uh, whereas on Topsail, they would just go to other unbuilt lands. Very true. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not, you know, there's 
not much that I know of uh, on Wrightsville Beach that predates Hazel, right? Because, I mean, Hazel destroyed quite a bit. Um, some of the, yeah. Most of the oldest stuff at Wrightsville, you know, it was mid-50s, you know, 55. Um, yeah, and, and that's true. I and mean, even places like Carolina Yacht Club or, or what have you, that were they were rebuilt. Uh, so you are right. I mean, Hazel was a, uh, a big one. Um, yeah, it's very, very things maintained. There, had, there were some old, old cottages, yeah. but not, not much of uh I always remember, you know, that was the urban legend was, and, you know, back when I was in high school, it was like, oh, you know, the, you know, like, like a hurricane's going to come one day and cut that inlet back through, um, which seems a little bit, uh, uh, maybe a, a little fanciful, um, you know, but like you said, you know, it's a, it's a constant battle to keep these uh, barrier islands in the same place, right? Well, it is, and as I said, I've written I've written books on uh, Hatteras Island in Ocracoke up on the Outer Banks, and uh, Hurricane Dorian came by a couple of years ago, and on yeah. Ocracoke, what yeah. that meant is they elevated all the buildings that were maybe two feet off the, uh, the surface. They now extended them to 12 feet off the surface, yeah. or 8 feet off the surface, and on Hatteras, They've been building new bridges. There, there are three, yep. three new bridges, uh, including one that has just opened, the Jug Handle Bridge, uh, north of Rodanthe, and that is an area where Mother Nature wants an inlet, and they've been fighting it for years. But you know, Mother Nature usually wins these battles. It's undefeated so far. So there you go. The inlets, do, inlets do form, and they close and open somewhere else. And, that's the way of these, and that's part of their charm. Yeah. But for those with property, it's, it's a headache. There you go. Well, I would love to. I think I think it'd be fun to travel back in time one day. You know, just to kind of uh, jump over, to, you know, across the, uh, you know, walk over Moore's Island to Shell Island and see what that was like. But uh, I, unfortunately, I agree. If, you, if you develop that time machine, I'm on board. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go one of these days. Ray McAllister, okay. thank you so much for your time and your expertise in uh, talking with us about the history of Wrightsville Beach. Thank you, John. It was great fun. And that's it for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and our look at the history of Wrightsville Beach, Moore's Inlet, and Shell Island. We'll be back soon with another chapter of Wilmington history. Till then, make sure you're a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their own memories of the region's history. In that group, I post extra content from each episode and links to all my coverage of local history for the Star News. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. And don't forget to sign up for the Cape Fear Unearthed newsletter that goes out every Thursday. Sign up for the newsletter at starnewsonline.com newsletters. Cape Fear Unearthed was written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, John Staten. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. This podcast was made possible by listeners and readers like you. Support local journalism and Cape Fear Unearthed by subscribing to the Star News today at starnewsonline.com slash subscribe. And while you're subscribing to things, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream this show so you never miss an episode. While you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear Unearthed. Till then, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. You never know what you might unearth.